everyone, I'm Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 87 of InsureTech Insider. In today's show, we're going to be discussing the most interesting news in the InsureTech and insurance world from across the globe. As always, I'm not alone and today I'm joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing today, Nigel? I am very well, thank you very much. Yes, all good. I have been told to ask you about your news but whichever piece of news you'd care to, to share with us, really, I suppose. I think the, the biggest news um, for us in the UK, other than it's raining, I know we talk about the weather all the time, is uh, the kids are back in school, which, <laughs> which has made everyone very happy. Um, and lots of stress levels have gone down and we're now back to shouting teeth, car, all the usual stuff. Uh, but professionally, uh, yeah, news for me is I, after five years at uh, Deloitte, have a new role where I started at uh, Google in the cloud division. So super excited about that. And I'm sure lots more to share over the coming uh, weeks and months as I get my feet under the table. Yes, better make the most of you whilst we have you, because I I hear imminently you are going across the pond. I think I've been going across the pond for years. So without question, yeah, looking forward to it. Brilliant. Well, we're also joined by some amazing guests. So first up, we have Lauren Berkemeyer, who is the Vice President of Marketing at ULife. How are you doing today, Lauren? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me today. I uh, feel quite energized, even though it's raining a bit. Had a had a nice long walk with my dog this morning, uh, listened to a podcast. So yeah, feel good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a great way to set up the day, actually. I do exactly that, except to Nigel's point, now the kids are back at school. It's a blinking nightmare because I used to go out when the kids were were at home and it was fine, but now they're all on their way to school and there are three secondary schools around me and I spend my life walking in the road because they don't seem to understand that other people might want to use the pavement. It's, uh, I'm going to have to rethink my morning routine, I think. Yeah, I think my revolution through lockdown has been to wake up about 45 minutes earlier and have some alone time and get out of the house before the children wake up. Yeah, so. absolutely. I need, to, I need to get ahead of the school run. We've had uh, guests from ULife on before, but can you please give us a quick reminder of, of what you do at ULife? Sure. Uh, so ULife is life insurance that inspires life. So what we are essentially doing is shifting the group risk product to a proactive model where our life insurance policies decrease risk by helping individuals live healthier lives. So our ULife app rewards individuals with anything from Avio smiles and vouchers for healthy activities like walking and meditating. And at the same time, all of our members get access to telemedicine and mental health support to really help prevent illness. So what we're doing is really providing a cost-effective way for businesses from high growth fintechs like Curve to established retailers like Co-op to provide that financial security while also helping their people live well, which we know is so important now. So thank you. That's you, Life. Brilliant. Well, we're very pleased to have you. We're also joined today by Graham Dean, Head of Insurance at Cover Genius. How are you today, Graham? Good, good. Good morning. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to catch up with you guys. Whereabouts are you? Are you somewhere warm and exotic? Uh, no, as if you might be able to see behind me, it's, uh, it's dull and uh, grey here in North London. So... <laughs> <laughs> They, they told me we had Australians on, so we had to get up early. And then they told me that the Australians were in London. And I was like, huh? We've had, uh, we've had Cover Genius on before, but could you uh, quickly give us a recap of, of, of what you guys do? Yeah, sure. So look, Cover Genius, are a, we're a global uh, insure tech. You, you may remember we, we power some of the biggest e-com and, and, and online brands in the world. So, you know, we're, we're sort of the, uh, I guess, leaders in, in embedded insurance um, sort of at point of sale. So, you know, we work with uh, the likes of eBay where we might sell a product or warranty product um, when somebody buys something on eBay like a laptop or a, or a tablet, etc. 
And in a similar space, like with uh, Wayfair selling furniture warranty products uh, in Europe in, in, at a point of sale, somebody purchases a, a piece of furniture and then we sell a, an insurance product at the same time as the purchase. And, and then through to, um, you know, we do a lot in the travel insurance space, so working with sort of large online travel agencies like Skyscanner or uh, Despegar down in Latin America and, and, and so forth. So, you know, providing travel-related products at point of sale when somebody's booking a flight or, or a hotel and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, really sort of agnostic in terms of the product lines. Um, but from an operational point of view, we're, we're, we're pretty global. We have offices all around the world and, and operate as a full-stack MGA you know, doing everything from, from, you know, customer service and claims in multiple languages to policy distribution and, and, and um, optimising the whole sale journey with, uh, you know, uh, dynamic pricing and product recommendations and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we've been around about, been around about uh, sort of six and a half years now. So Brilliant. Well, we're going to get onto um, one of your products perhaps a little bit later, but for now, thank you all for joining me. Let's get on with the show. So we're going to follow up on our last news episode by starting by talking about some fundraising that's been going on. So Hippo has now confirmed that it will merge with reInvent Technology Partner Z, now that is a snappy name, to go public. The new company will become Hippo Holdings and the merger will put the new entity at a value of $5 billion and include a $450 million private investment from reInvent. So Hippo is here using a SPAC vehicle to go public. We, we've talked about that a little bit before um, and about their popularity in the, the wider fintech industry at the moment as well. Meanwhile, Oscar Health has raised $1.2 billion through its recent IPO, which gave the company a market value of $7.7 billion. In 2020, Oscar Health said its customers grew 75% year-on-year as the COVID-19 pandemic increased demand for healthcare delivered through online, mobile, and at-home methods. For some context there, Lemonade was valued at $1.6 billion when it IPO'd last July. Um, it reached $3.3 billion the first morning of trading. So, you know, a bit of a difference there. You know, there's, there's a couple of things here. I mean, first of all, great to see, you know, uh, these, these insure techs continuing to, to make money, raise money and go public. Do we, does anybody have any thoughts about the, the fact that they've gone about this two different ways? You know, one, one's done it on its own, one's gone through the, the, down the SPAC route. Is there, you know, do, do you think that's the right thing to do? Is there one better than the other? Is one more appropriate than the other? I'll jump in. I'm not sure there's one more appropriate than the other. I think what we discussed last time was the speed at which you can do this as SPAC. And I, I'm absolutely no expert in this at all. I'm probably like everyone else catching up with how folks are engaging in this in, in this mechanism. For me, it feels like a speed and level of administration to get from one to the other. So that's been quite interesting. I'm not sure there is a right or wrong. It's, you know, Oscar's been around for a long time and raised a lot of money. I think we talked about last time, which is super interesting. I think the Am I allowed to say the SPAC train or the number of organizations that are going to come down this route, specifically in InsurTech and, and FinTech, is quite significant. And I keep seeing announcements or rumors going, hey, have you seen X, Y, Z? They're going to go launch via SPAC to come to market in a quick and efficient way. So I suspect this is just the beginning, not nothing more. I think there's going to be a lot more coming forward. I think it's interesting as well. There's been a lot of talk actually in the European markets about how we can make that kind of manoeuvre easier here because obviously we've seen a lot more of it in the US, so that we do see a lot more sort of general insure tech, you know, IPOing in the US. Um, Graham, you, you had some thoughts on this as well. No, I was, I was just going to comment. Yeah, I mean, I think Europe seems to be still a little bit behind in, in, in that regard for the SPAC IPOs. But yeah, it seems to be obviously a trend in the US, but um, I'd agree with Nigel. It doesn't, I don't know if there's a right or wrong kind of approach to that. But, um, but the, you know, from a, I guess, a, a kind of uh, valuations point of view that seem to be fairly consistent as well across the two ways. So, um, yeah, I guess it's really just the ease and, 
and speed to, to, to market and the less sort of administrative burden that's potentially driving this, this sort of change. So. Yeah, I mean, what about the the value for for Oscar? The, you know, the valuation, the amount it's it's kind of come out at because we know it's raised a lot of money. It's quite a mature company, but obviously, it's had a spectacular year. You know, it's it's been in the right place at the right time when a lot of other companies have had you know atrocious years. Do we think it's a fair valuation, or do we think perhaps it's slightly artificial given what else has been going on? I haven't seen the numbers what they were judging Oscar on, but I mean, I, I did see Hippo what they were basing their valuation on. And I think it was something like four, 4.4 times the sort of 2023 sort of premium numbers. And, and, that, and that seems to be fairly consistent, I think, with I think Lemonade was something similar. And I don't know what Oscar was, has been basing it on recently. But I mean, obviously, from a health point of view, it's, um, you know, it's, a, it's obviously a really good renewable. So there's, there's a lot of sort of longevity in that. So um, I suspect this, it probably sounds okay in principle, but um, I actually haven't seen the numbers behind it. But yeah, that, that'd be my thoughts. Yeah, and it's pretty early days as well. I mean, we, we know that these things sort of take a while to settle in, don't they? As lemonade comes in at one and comes, you know, goes completely different a, a few hours later. Uh, Nigel, did you did you have any final thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think your, your question on valuations is probably the next puzzling question post the use of SPACs, or not use of SPACs, in terms of the market's been really interesting in terms of change of administration in North America and a whole host of other factors that are going on. There was a big rally yesterday it's really hard to, to, to work out where or how you position some of these things. There's been some really interesting commentary on the value of tech stocks more broadly. Commentary online seems to have a whole host of impacts very, very quickly. So the valuation one's really interesting. I think at some point, though, a company's metrics or a company's actual performance will then reset its price over a period of time. So looking at it at any one point in time is probably a bad thing. Looking at it over a period of time will be really interesting. And I think your point about not just Oscar, but any health provider and the move to telehealth and telemedicine, if you look at the likes of Babylon and many others, it's become the de facto standard or the de facto norm for how we choose to engage. It would be interesting to see as, as the world unlocks from the pandemic, how we then go back to doctor surgeries or whatever it might be, or do we stick with the digital triage that's gone on in some of these apps, which I think is brilliant and personally think you know I don't think we should go back I think this is a a great leap forward yeah I'm not sure that people have chosen to go remote for their healthcare. (laughs) I mean I think they've been pushed into it and I think there will be a lot of people who there are some things that they're quite happy to do remote post-pandemic and they're going to stick with and I think banking perhaps is one of those but I don't know that people won't want to go and have the reassurance of sitting face to face with their doctor rather than trying to use their phone to take a picture of, you know, their their bad hand or trying to explain, you know, something really personal over a digital screen. It was really interesting. There was two comments. I think Booper made one with Mark Allen on a while back. Booper made a comment about actually if you so is a in a tragic situation where you get a cancer diagnosis, for example, rather than doing that in the confines of a doctor's surgery where you might be on your own, especially in a pandemic, doing that at home around loved ones has been a much welcomed experience in some in some cases. And then actually my daughter had to go and see a doctor a while back. She had a lump that developed, she's young, right? So she had a lump that, that developed under the skin. You couldn't physically see it. It wouldn't show up on camera, but you could feel it there. And of course we had to take her to the, to the doctor. So my wife dropped her, oh, took her to, took her to, the, to the doctor's surgery. She was in and out in a super efficient process, but it was a, hey, don't worry, this is nothing, thankfully. But you're absolutely right. There's certain things that you just can't physically see. Although I'm still amazed by people like 
straight teeth direct or instant dentist where they put a camera inside your mouth and you can do a lot of the dentistry analysis without ever having to visit a, a dentist chair. Yeah, well, there are advantages. As somebody who hates the dentist, I can say that if I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fancy drilling into my own tooth, put it that way. All right. Sorry, Lauren. Yeah. So on the telemedicine side, I think what's really interesting is just the increased access to the basic healthcare. So New Life offers a virtual GP service through our offering. And, and I accessed it the other day as a result of just seeing something kind of strange on my daughter's skin. Took a picture. Doctor called me in 45 minutes, had a prescription within two hours. And so you know, there is this sort of efficiency in the delivery of something that would have never worked that way in the past. So um, I don't think it's a it's a means of, of all ends, but has definitely improved a lot of a lot of the effectiveness of of prescriptions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll probably, you know, unreasonable and unbalanced, you'll see a hybrid of, of both going forward. And it will, of course, depend on whereabouts in the world you are, because healthcare is delivered so differently in different countries. All right, we're going to move on to our next story now, which is Google Cloud, Allianz and Munich Re have partnered to revolutionize risk management in the cloud. So the partners have announced the Risk Protection Program, a collaboration between a major cloud provider and leading cyber insurance companies. The program is designed to help Google Cloud customers reduce cloud security risk by giving them access to specialized cyber coverage. The Risk Protection Program consists of two parts. So one is a diagnostic tool called Risk Manager, which enables Google Cloud customers to measure and manage their risk on Google Cloud and obtain reports on the strength of their cyber security on that platform. Secondly, AGCS and Munich Re have developed Cloud Protection Plus, which is a cyber insurance product that provides enhanced and specialized coverage available only to Google Cloud customers. We spoke to Matt Driscoll, Senior Product Manager at Google and Lead Product Manager for the Risk Manager tool to find out more. Hi, folks. I'm Matt Driscoll. I'm a Product Manager at Google Cloud in the Security Group. Thanks for having me here today. Last week, we announced a first-of-its-kind partnership with two of the world's leading insurers. Allianz and Munich Re, called the Risk Protection Program. The Risk Protection Program is all about minimizing our customers' security risk through tools and best practices through two new solutions. The first is a GCP product called Risk Manager, and the second is an insurance product from our partners called Cloud Protection Plus. I want to take this opportunity to provide a bit more context on how Risk Manager, Cloud Protection Plus, and the Risk Protection Program integrate with Google Cloud's security ecosystem to deliver shared fate. As customers operate their workloads in a secure manner, they can use Risk Manager to generate an assessment of their organization's compliance with security best practices. We are starting with the CIS benchmarks, but we'll be adding more signals as the product matures. So now, a GCP customer has an assessment that reflects their secure operational posture on Google Cloud. Second, Risk Manager also enables a modern, simple process for connecting with insurance partners. Customers, working with their brokers, can share the Risk Manager report with our partners Allianz and Munich Re to quickly begin the process of obtaining a specialized insurance policy with Cloud Protection Plus. So, with the Risk Protection Program, customers can use the ecosystem of GCP security tooling not only to mitigate risk more effectively, but also to complete the last mile of risk management with their brokers. We think that Risk Manager, which entered private preview last week, and the Risk Protection Program are unique tools for our customers to manage risk on Google Cloud. We think that there is a virtuous cycle that we are helping create across our customers and insurance partners. First, as customers adopt Google's platform and deploy Google's security tools, their risk decreases. 
customers can quickly evaluate this risk posture using Risk Manager. Then, once a customer has reduced risk, the Risk Protection Program could potentially provide benefits like reduced costs and specialized coverage. Finally, as customers realize these benefits, we hope that they will accelerate their digital transformation, thus enabling more effective risk management across a broader cross-section of their business, driving even more risk reduction. Thanks so much for your time. We're really excited about this product at Google Cloud. Thank you very much for that, Matt. Nigel, as a, as a new Google employee, do you want to, to give us the, the spin on this? You know my rules as always, so uh, you probably won't find me commenting given it's uh, very early days in. I think he did an excellent, an excellent description of what it is and what it means. I think more broadly, Sarah, you and I have talked almost for four years about insure tech, big tech and partnerships in the industry. And moreover, I think this just goes to show that the combination of technology, cloud, and carrier of these sorts of scale is just phenomenal and has an opportunity to change both the risk market and customers' profiles going forward in uh, uh, making it safer for for everyone. And then, of course, cyber. I mean, I, I don't, I, I'd hate to count how many times you and I have spoken about cyber over the years, but it's definitely, even in the last year, it's taken a huge uptick in activity as we've all moved to work from home and everything else. So, as I said, Matt did an outstanding job of explaining it can't wait to see what the partnership brings. Yeah, absolutely. Graham, this, this sounds like something that you, you might have some thoughts on as well. Yeah, I was. It, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I think that um, on the surface, it sounds like it's um, something that could do really well, being sort of a fully integrated type solution. I, I was intrigued, though, and I note that he said uh, working with your brokers so I, I don't know what that means in practice, and, and I don't know if Nigel even knows yet either, but, um, but, but you know, look, what, what does that mean? How, how is a customer going to, to sort of access the policies and, and understand what they need or understand what they're buying? You know, I think the problem with cyber, and we've got a few things that we're working on in that space as well through various partners, it's not super clear to, to, the, the, to the buyer whether they're a business or whether they're an individual, you know, what it is that they're getting or what it is that's covered and what they need. And even to the insurers, I think it's, it's, it seems to jump around a lot where even the insurers don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. The appetite seems to be changing quite frequently as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I'm interested to see where that goes because it is interesting, but I was intrigued by the word use of broker and, and does that mean that it's still a, quite a offline type structure to actually get the policies? But yeah, interested to know. Yeah, I mean, it didn't say much about the actual user or customer experience, which, you know, as we know, is is very, very important if, if you're going to be selling products, particularly if they're coming from multiple providers, because we've talked a lot about that on this show, kind of like, well, I don't know who my insurer is, who do I speak to when something goes wrong? And if something goes wrong, I want to know now and I want to know how you're going to fix it. I do not want to be passed from pillar to post saying it's not our problem. Uh, Lauren, did you want to jump in there? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, as long as the customer service side is very important. So, you know, as we get more efficiencies digitally and everything, I mean, our entire business is cloud-based. But I think to your point of, Sarah, what you just said, if people need to contact someone, if they need support, if they need an an answer, it needs to be very clear where they, they need to go. And sometimes that higher touch aspect can get eliminated as things get more automated and digital. So... I just think that customer service is, is, is still really vital to look at in all mechanisms. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And it's interesting that the product's only available to Google Cloud customers for now. Knowing how Google works, you can see how it might you know, expand beyond that. 
you know, they might want to, to keep it, you know, it, it depends how it goes, right? They might want to keep it as a, a private product only for their customers as, a, as an incentive to use Google Cloud. But on the other hand, if it goes well, there's an incentive to distribute it further. So it's going to be interesting to see, I think, how these sort of partnered and hybridized solutions are, are di- further distributed. All right, we will be back very, very soon. We are just going to take a quick break. Our brand new podcast is here. In Under the Hood, we lift the lid on the banking infrastructure that's shaking up the financial services industry. In partnership with Synapse, we'll explore a different area of banking tech every Thursday and talk to experts around the world. Head to your favorite podcast app and follow Under the Hood to catch the latest episode. Okay, welcome back. And Nigel, over to you. Thank you very much. Well, in no surprise to absolutely anyone, demand for travel insurance takes off as more destinations require coverage. So really excited to see this for so many reasons, not least because we're all stuck at home and can't wait to get a break that's at least a mile away from our own homes. This is from Reuters, where the demand for travel insurance takes off as more destinations now require coverage. COVID-19 insurance policies are increasingly becoming a holiday must-have. And I think you go back a year, probably a little bit more than a year now, we wouldn't have even looked at COVID-19 or even an exclusion like pandemic. Now it's on the top of everyone's tongues as we go forward. More than a dozen countries from Aruba to Thailand require COVID-19 coverage for visitors, with Jordan being the latest to consider such protections. Holiday hotspots have concerns around being hit with large bills if tourists get stranded by coronavirus. And finally, COVID-19 insurance benefits are now being sold either as add-ons or as separate policies with coverage for illness or quarantine. Where do we even start with this, Graham? I guess this fits right into your sweet spot in terms of embedded insurance policies. I think Sarah and I have talked about airlines, cruise liners, and a whole host of companies now trying to make the journey that you're about to take become easier. What's uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, so look, it's a great point, Nigel. Like, you know, March last year, you know, pretty much every travel insurance policy had a pandemic exclusion in the policies. And, you know, we we sort of started looking at it, I guess, probably sort of June sort of last year around sort of, okay, well, we're going to have to get these sorts of coverages put into our policies. Our partners want it, our, our customers want it. And we ended up building uh, a kind of, uh, I guess, uh, a new suite of products to 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 cover the sort of pandemic and, and, and COVID. So, and I think, you know, uh, I think it's probably safe to say we were probably the first sort of total travel insurance package mid last year to, to actually include COVID and, and things with even with cancellations. Cancellation was really hot on the topic earlier that um, insurers just did not want to cover um, a cancellation related to COVID and because there's just so much unknowns back then. And so, you know, we, we built that. Um, and then, you know, I guess fast forward sort of to now, you know, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the travel insurers have um, now include COVID. It's, as you said, it's becoming a little bit more standard. It's becoming, you know, mandatory in some cases for some countries. And, and I think it's, it's been really great to, to almost to go through it because it's interesting to see how the evolution of the insurance appetite and the insurers can kind of, they can still evolve they sometimes need a little convincing, and, and it was a little tricky, sort of early in the year, last uh, last sort of twelve months ago, or whatever. But 
you know, it, it, it's important that we do continue to evolve and make sure that we're covering the right benefits and, and so forth. In terms of, you know, we've we've got um, in terms of the COVID medical stuff, yeah. So we, we you know, it includes in we included it in our our sort of standard travel insurance policies in everything now. That's from Europe to the US to to APAC. We just frankly won't offer a policy without it at this point. It's a really interesting one, though, and there's a, I think there's, there's loads of different directions you can go on this. In that, do we go down the route of country by country, which I think we have to right now because of the different restrictions and different levels of either vaccination capability or otherwise. A friend of mine in South Africa was saying they've had 500,000 vaccinations when yet the UK is on something like 25 million and the US is on close to 60 or 70 million. So it's not necessarily the country that you're coming from, it's where you're going to and then what you do to bring it back. So beyond the insurance piece, Sarah and I have talked for, for, for a while about trust in the industry. We saw the BI case destroy some trust. Is there more to the insurance product? I think we last spoke about this in early November, Sarah. Um, but is it more to the insurance? So never mind just the insurance. Is there something about where we go above and beyond to give you insights to go, hey, you know, Sarah's desperate to get back to New Zealand. Here's what the medical situation is like. Here's her hospital capability. Here's what you do in the case of, the, of emergency. And here's how we're going to repatriate you. Is, where do we go on that? Is it, is it insurance plus some other stuff? It's interesting because I almost feel like the words of Hippo's CEO is coming into my mind as it relates to really driving more of a proactive approach to insurance. And we're doing that from a life insurance perspective, but there is a role that travel insurance has in this as well, which has always been very, very reactive. I also believe that you know, the trust is, is deteriorating as well as a result of this pandemic, but also heightening the awareness as well as the need for insurances like travel. So it is, you know, the model there, I think the projections are quite rapid as far as growth of travel insurance, but equally the model needs to be revisited to take that proactive approach and guide people before they travel, I believe. I think there's something in that, the idea of prevention rather than cure, if you like. But I also worry that a lot of the the restrictions that are coming in, particularly around travel, although, although some of the others in some other places, this, this statement is true as well. But do we end up with an even more divided society? So travel becomes something that you can only do if you are rich enough to get a vaccine, rich enough to buy an insurance policy. You know, if, if all these if all these requirements are in place from different countries, do you end up making travel the preserve of a certain class of people? And what and what does that do? Because we've talked before about we've actually talked before about it with health insurance, but like the idea that if if you have to have you know a Fitbit or a whatever to, to, to get health insurance, if you have to agree to be tracked, and then it shows that you you know you are overweight or you do smoke or you go to McDonald's three times a day, you become excluded from having health insurance. You know, there's an exclusion that applies there. I, I wonder if some of these things that we have to be careful about how we think about it, and, and particularly when we're talking about you know this travel insurance, if it's a requirement, how it's priced, you know how how available it is, because if if because right now the risks are really high, and, and because you know the, the the costs could be really high, that means the insurance is really high. Do you end up you know having people who who just can't travel because of it, and 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 what? role does the insurance industry have to play in that, which ties into Lauren's point, if you're doing prevention rather than cure, if you're stopping people having to claim, then surely that helps to counter that that issue that you have people who won't be able to afford it. I think there's kind of bigger sort of societal questions perhaps as well around this idea of like requirements to, to be able to go places and do things. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look back at the history, though, I think it was probably back in the 60s, 70s, you know, people were required to have different vaccines to travel and they had to have their little book that said this, the stamp that said they had that vaccine and things. And Or even if you're still going to Africa these days, you need the yellow fever and typhoid and that sort of stuff. So I don't think it's too different from that, right? And And so it just becomes, hey, you need these vaccinations, you need these sort of medical things. So I think it's okay. So I don't think that's too exclusive in that sense. But I think, you know, from an insurance point of view, you probably have a point there, Sarah, like around, you know, one, you've got to be careful around are we, if there's things that are mandated, the, the risk of, you know, overcharging and, and things like that. But of course, regulations do sort of help keep that in play. But I suppose another way that you could look at it as, as corporations or distribution online travel companies, perhaps they, they provide levels of coverage so then they can sort of, sort of provide that or entice the customers that you're still able to book a travel or a trip or a flight or whatever with them, but you're getting that additional required insurance in it. So, you know, we have got this at the moment where, you know, one, one or two of our partners are actually embedding COVID medical only, so not a full medical travel policy, but really just covering for that COVID bit that goes over and above that if somebody's got travel insurance but it doesn't cover COVID, which means they're not stuck, they're not stranded, they can get repatriated. So, you know, you can kind of cut it up and make sure that if there is requirements, that maybe it's embedded into the price of the ticket and things like that. So, I think Sarah's point actually really raises a couple of questions. You've mentioned that as well, uh, or some of them. It's almost the, there's two things. One is who is buying the coverage in the first place or who's providing it? And what I mean by that is, is it Sarah, myself, Graham, you, Lauren, all buying it for ourselves for particular reasons. And normally we buy it because we can't travel or we lost the luggage or whatever else, or a flight's cancelled. Now it's slightly extended in that let's, God forbid, my wife gets COVID, we therefore can't travel. How, how does that impact stuff? I think we spoke at the very outset around things opening up slowly, but with instant cancellation policies that are way more flexible than they've ever been. I also read about an island th- that, was mandating cover, but it was provided as part of the holiday. So you didn't have to buy it as an individual, but to get to the country, it was there by default. Or is it the actual vehicle itself, i.e. the airline, or I think it was Lufthansa, I could be wrong, but it was Lufthansa said, we'll get you repatriated if you need to. The same with some of the cruise liners, if something goes wrong, we'll get you there. So to Sarah's point about affordability, maybe it's an economic thing by the countries to reopen where they have a heavy reliance on tourism or travel that they say, hey, if you want to come to our country, these are the things we've got. This is what we'll give you by default. You can choose to add on any extra coverages or, or, or whatever else it might be. But that might solve, Sarah, some of the accessibility or affordability pieces. But that then goes, you know, is it a primary carrier issue? Is it a reinsurance issue on the on, on the on, on the other side? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one that we're going to have to have to keep an eye on. I mean, I I have some a, a holiday, well, not a holiday booked, but I have a trip booked for for June. I'm supposed to go to Greece uh, for a friend's wedding, which was supposed to happen last year, and then they just literally rebooked the following year. And there's a, a question there about Greece will let you in if you've had a vaccine, and I'm like, great. So all the old people in Britain can go to Greece, but none of the young people, because the way it's working here is we're vaccinating down the ages, and we are vaccinating vulnerable people, of course. But I'm like, well, that that doesn't feel like a good idea. 
of Greece. That isn't is that the, the audience you want? So I, I think it's something that um, the, the point is people are trying, people are coming up with things, people are trying to open up and make it so people can travel as safely as possible again. It's just I think we have to be careful how we do it because it's brand new, and if in a race to introduce things, we might we might trip over some things that could cause bigger problems. It is interesting to pose the question of does this then you know ignite the tourism boards, which pure objective is to drive the tourism economy, like the Visit Londons and the NYC and Co's and all over the world, and the in Australia, you know, and will this be on their radar? Will travel insurance be on their radar? Because it could, to Nigel's point, could be a value add as a part of the service offering. It's, it spins it around a bit. It goes away from travel insurance to an economic stimulant to getting the country back to or, or the location. It doesn't have to be a country. It could be the Lake District. It could be, it, it could be wherever, right? It's, it's an economic stimulant for allow these businesses to get moving again. I guess on the, on the flip side or the positive side, at least when the vaccine is becoming more freely available and people are, are less worried about mixing. I think the CDC announced this week that if you were fully vaccinated in North America... <laughs> They did. Sorry, I was to say that makes no sense. How are you going to think if you if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask? How are they going to tell who's vaccinated and who's not? That is bonkers to me. <laughs> I, and I paused because Sarah was waving at me, folks. I know you can't see it, but Sarah was. And I was literally paused in my in my steps by Sarah. So you, I, I agree with you, Sarah. By the way, and then that gives rise to the dark web of people selling vaccination certificates to go. Oh, look, I've got mine already. I can travel. So it's there's a whole host of things that are opening up as a, as a result of this that I just find absolutely fascinating. I think the one positive thing here is over time, more people are becoming vaccinated and this will become a norm over the next three, five, seven years anyway. I guess my last point on this is, and Lauren, I think you touched on it, does this become something like flood, right? And flood in the UK with flood re is something that's embedded into every home policy anyway to make sure that it becomes affordable and we can mitigate against that so that we sadly are still building houses on floodplains or whatever else, but for the ones that have been there for hundreds of years, people can have affordable and accessible insurance. Moving on, I'll ask you, I'm going to do one more question for you, Sarah. Sarah, what will it take for you to get to New Zealand comfortably? Oh, I would very, I'd go to New Zealand tomorrow. It's just that New Zealand won't have me. New Zealand's one of those countries where where (laughs) I'd be very happy to go. They've been very sensible. They have all the right protocols in place. But what that means is that New Zealand won't have me. They're like, when they're, even, though New, even though tourism is a huge part of the New Zealand economy, um, I think for me to go to perhaps somewhere like Greece, I just, I, if I'm vaccinated, I'd comfortably go. But that's a very selfish perspective. But see, that's the thing, right? It's, it's actually not about if you're vaccinated. It's actually whether the same as Australia is a similar spot as New Zealand, right? Like they don't have much cases. They're very far behind in their vaccine rollout compared to here in the UK. So it's, it's less about whether, whether I'm vaccinated and can go back and visit, you know, my family, but actually h- how, how far along are they in terms of their vaccine rollout? Because it, whether I'm vaccinated, I could potentially still bring it into the country. So um, it's actually the other way around, right? Well, that, that's the question that's yet to be answered is, is yeah, whether you exactly. still carry it and whether you're still transmissible if you're vaccinated. So I, for one, cannot wait to travel. I have missed it so much just seeing the world with the family and everything else, even work travel. I'm going to say it now. I missed airports. Anyway, I'll move on. Next up, back to, back to our almost our point we made at the very beginning about valuations and raises. We are delighted to share that Zigo has raised $150 million at $1.1 billion valuation. So a huge round of applause. I'm not sure. Is this our first InsureTech UK unicorn? Yet to go double check that. I think it is. 
For those that don't know, Zigo is a UK-based insurtech focusing on flexible motor insurance and has raised $150 million. This is a C round and it's given Zigo a 1.1 billion valuation um, led by DST Global. All existing investors have followed on, including Wise's Tavit Hinrichus. Uh, Wise was formerly known as TransferWise for those that haven't seen that change as well. Uh, funding means Zigo now has raised more than $200 million since its launch in 2016. I think they've been on the show before. Uh, they've talked about the funds being used to expand across Europe and beyond, and it will double its workforce, which is currently uh, 265 people. Um, really interesting stat for me is Zigo has provided more than 17 million insurance policies so far and covered more than 200,000 vehicles in five countries. So this almost feels like a coming of age. We've seen great raises from, bought by many of, of, of a large scale and others. It's great, really great to see. We spoke to Sten Shah, the CEO of Zigo, to find out more. Good morning. Well, Zigo is an insurance company focused on commercial customers ranging from the enterprise fleets all the way through to self-employed drivers. And we insure companies in ride hailing, food delivery, parcel delivery, and more recently, electric scooter companies too. When vehicle moves, you pay for insurance. When it doesn't, you don't. Essentially, that's as simple as it is. This round of funding is a kind of a huge milestone and it's, in my opinion, a huge testament to the hard work that the team has put in. Now, just to be clear, and I've told it to the team as well, uh, I would call ourselves as a reluctant unicorn because re uh, unicorns do not exist. They're mythical creatures and we are not here to build a unicorn. We are here to build a company that is going to be solving many, many problems for customers. What it means for the business? Well, we are going to be deploying the money in three key areas. First of all, we're going to be developing more products for our commercial customers. We will be rapidly expanding across other geographies in Europe first and then beyond. And then thirdly, we are going to be hiring exceptional talent. We'll continue building the team and based on current forecast, most likely we'll double it over the next 12 months. We'll be hiring in product, in software engineering, data science, pricing, and all other areas in the business as well. It is very exciting for the business and myself, but as I said, this is a journey. Um, it is a gas stop on the way up to Edinburgh. It's not the destination itself, but I'm very proud. Thank you. I love that. <laughs> I love that soundbite. It was really good. I, I have to say the bit that made me laugh is uh, Stens clearly doesn't have an eight-year-old daughter because we, we have a unicorn in the house called Robert. And I'm not going to argue with my eight-year-old daughter that we have a, unicorns are real, at least not for now. But, but brilliant. I mean, cool, calm, collective. His point about mythical creatures was, was generally really good about building the business. What do we think, folks? That's a lot of money as well, right? So and it sounds like it's I don't want to say this without a disrespect, but it sounds like this is a growing up insurance business that's going to double down on all the things that you'd expect in any large carrier today. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, I've, I've always liked Ego. You know, they've been around sort of uh, sort of similar ages as Cover Genius. So, you know, I've, I've sort of um, got to know them over the years and particularly Harry and, and a few of the other guys there. I think it's good. I think this sort of money and capital injection, but also at evaluation, um, I, you know, I'd love to see them kind of keep expanding globally and kind of, you know, being more of a global player that they, I think they should be. And it's just good for the UK. As you said, the UK insure tech scene, it's nice to see some of the, the longer standing ones coming into, into fruition really. So yeah, nice. congrats to the team. It's just interesting to look at the business model, which is really about making the buying process easier. But actually, again, when we kind of 
you know, talk about prevention, you know, is there a layer that they're not thinking about? And I think this also goes, you know, when you look at lemonade, I mean, what is the relationship that they're really creating with the customer? They have found a pain point, but I just wonder opportunistically if there is another layer beyond that, that will really enable them to, to become a more powerful unicorn which is how do you prevent the issues from happening to actually go to that claims process? I think to build on Lauren's point, one of the things that Zigo has done really well is its its partnerships. It's, it's sort of its distribution partnerships, if you like, but working with, uh, oh my goodness, I'm going to get this wrong now, isn't it? It's Deliveroo and Uber and and w- whatever their competitors are in other parts of Europe. And I think that, you know that's that's a really savvy move on their part um, to, to to help build, you know, get, getting their product into the hands of of those people who need it, who are the delivery drivers a lot of the time. But I think that also gives them the opportunity, as you say. Lauren, to gather an awful lot of data on the habits, you know, uh, behaviors of, of those those people, um, and then maybe do some more work on kind of tailoring and personalizing policies for individuals rather than just selling, you know, a blanket policy to delivery drivers or, or, or whatever it is. So I think, you know, savvy move on their part. We won't go into to what heinous crimes they've committed in Ireland involving electrical vehicles. But, you know, the, the general business model has, has served them very, very well. And I think it, I think it has potential to do more for them as well um, as, as they continue to expand and, and, and invest presumably you know of course some of that money they just got will go back into investing in the technology and, and, and you know what they have and the products and services they offer so I love it in that it talks to a this industry is not an overnight success and when it came out five years ago we started all this sort of stuff oh they'll never disrupt big carriers because they haven't got any scale well here we are they're definitely not an overnight success because it takes lots of you know hard work grit and determination but here they are five years later, you know, millions of policies, people using it, no legacy or less legacy and technical debt than you have in a traditional carrier that's hundreds of years old, pricing their stuff in completely different ways. Sarah, if, if you were referring to their business model and their insurance of the dreaded e-scooters, I think that that's a, an issue that we should be definitely trying Harry and Stan and Nick and all the team live on air at some point before they head down that route. Unfortunately, I think it is inevitable, but really, really great to see. And it's so great to see that they've come such a long way. I'll finish on saying, in, in the same as the SPACs and IPOs you mentioned earlier, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So it's great for InsureTech. It's great for InsureTech UK. And it's great to see such success. So with that, back to you, Sarah. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I think I think on the uh, e-scooter point, Nigel, we just have to accept that they're very savvy businessmen, which is why they've raised this money, even even if we have personal qualms. All right, we're going to have a really, really short and sweet final and finally story today. So it's that an insurance worker has been busted for insurance fraud. So this relates to a Salisbury couple who've been jailed after insurance fraud burglary. So a chap called Graham Mundy called police to his home in Wiltshire in January back in 2019 to report an alleged burglary. Mundy told the police that there'd been a break-in and that jewellery and laptops had been stolen. He was paid, um, wow, £121,000 or thereabout by insurers in May of 2019. And he spent the money on his business and he also gave £30,000 to his partner at one 
one Ms. Joanna Beams. Unfortunately, the police discovered that Beams, who works in the insurance industry, had successfully claimed money for a diamond ring in 2018, which had also been reported stolen by Monday in 2019. So the ring had been reported stolen twice, essentially. Officers also found photos with the ring in it, taken after Monday claims it had been lost. So the couple were jailed for 26 months. So that seems like quite a long sentence to me, but there we go. I think the reason that this story has just come up as an Anne Finally story is, it, you know, is it even worse if it's somebody who works in the insurance industry committing insurance fraud? Or is it, I don't know, almost to be expected given they know the industry better than anyone else? I mean, I think I'm surprised that she was caught if she works in the insurance industry is probably actually what's coming to mind. Anybody else have any quick thoughts on this story? It is a lighthearted one. Claiming the, the ring twice and then wearing it. <laughs> and being in the industry is is, is probably where you fell through, <laughs> fell down. So. You know, fraud is fraud, and <laughs> it's all down to the individual. You know, it, where they where they work, the industry it doesn't matter. She would have had insider intel, I guess, but. To Graham's point, yeah, had a couple of too many mishaps. All right. Well, I think we'll leave that one there. That wraps up the news for today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Graham, we'll start with you. Uh, probably LinkedIn from me personally. Um, you can follow me and, and, and you'll get updates from, uh, I guess, other events and things that I'm attending or speaking at. Um, and then uh, covergenius.com from, from a business point of view. So. But thanks for having me. Brilliant. Lauren. Yeah. And similarly, you can follow me, connect with me on LinkedIn, Lauren Berkemeyer, or to learn more about ULife, go to ulife.com, Y-U-L-I-F-E. Perfect. And Nigel. I'm going to do it. You're going to kill me. I'm on the Peloton leaderboard at Mr. InsureTech. Okay. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. Thank you to all of my guests. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please do leave us a review. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.